This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Well, welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I am Jeremy Myers, your teacher for this podcast. We're working our way right now through the book of Jonah. Today we're looking at Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. This is episode number 86. Show notes can be found at redeeminggod.com slash Jonah 3, 5. I don't know if you struggle with evangelism. Lots of people don't know what to say, how to say it, when to say it. If they're going to have the right answers to the questions. Hopefully today's podcast episodes alleviates some of that concern, if those are your concerns. We're going to see today that you can evangelize, you can be a witness for God, you can share the gospel simply by going about your day and interacting with others around you as God brings them into your path. You don't need to share the four spiritual laws, you don't need to pass out gospel tracts, you don't need to share the Romans road, you don't need to stand on the corner and shout at people through a bullhorn, you don't need to go door to door knocking on people's doors and interrupting their dinner. You don't need to do any of that. God can start a citywide revival through the smallest of acts. You don't need to be Billy Graham. <laughs> That's what we're going to learn today from Jonah 3, 5. Now listen, if you like what I teach in today's podcast episode, uh, I have some free email training, completely free, that you might want to receive. It's a series of emails about how to get to know your neighbors and love them and serve them just like Jesus did. Um, and that's really the best form of evangelism. Okay, You just develop relationship with them without any agenda at all. Love them and befriend them. And the best part about it is anybody can do it. So this free email series, this free email training, sort of walks you through the process of that and gives you some practical suggestions and advice on how you can do that. And it's, it's absolutely free, but you do need to join the online discipleship group, which, of course, you can join the free level for that. Uh, Just join the free grace level, and after joining, I will let you know about some of the email training, the free email training I provided. There's a couple different options, and one of them is the uh, getting to know your neighbors email training. Anyway, uh, to get started and sign up, just go to redeeminggod.com slash join, and after you sign up, register, I'll send you an email with uh, further details. Sounds good? See you there. All right, let's turn to our study of Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. All right, so in a previous study, uh, when we looked at Jonah 3, 4, we saw that while Jonah did obey God in going to Nineveh to proclaim the message God gave to him, Jonah did really as little as humanly possible. The text sort of seems to indicate that Jonah only preached the message God gave him one time, and he only used a few words to do it, no elaboration, no explanation. And it appears, possibly, some scholars think that he even taught it in the Hebrew language, (laughs) which almost nobody in Nineveh understood. All right, uh, that was Jonah's evangelism strategy there. Not a strategy that you and I should follow. Nevertheless, in Jonah 3.5, we see that despite Jonah's half-hearted efforts to warn the people of Nineveh 
about the impending doom that was about to come upon them. Nevertheless, they somehow hear the message of Jonah and respond to it. Somehow, some people did hear and understand Jonah's message, and it spread like wildfire throughout the city. All right? Uh, in, in fact, the response is so overwhelming to Jonah's nearly silent witness that really this is a humorous part of the story. Jonah's a very humorous story, as are many of the stories in the Bible. And so when we see Jonah's preaching, which is really a lack of preaching, and then how Nineveh responded, you're, you're supposed to sort of laugh in surprise. All right? The response is so complete in the city, even the animals respond, right? The animals end up fasting, repenting, and even crying out to God. So, uh, you know, some scholars and theologians have tried to explain how this happened, and so they go into all these elaborate explanations about an eclipse. I don't know if you saw the eclipse uh, this past, uh, well, about a week ago or two weeks ago here in the United States. Um, some people say there was an eclipse and an earthquake right about the time Jonah's entering the city, and so that's why people heeded his message. Um, some other people say that somebody saw Jonah um, puked up by the by the fish on the Mediter- on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and because the Ninevites worshipped this fish god, the uh, Dagon is his name. He's half man, half fish. Uh, you know, somehow this story went before Jonah, and so people gave him a hearing when they might not have otherwise. Of course, remember, Nineveh is hundreds of miles from the coast, so I don't know how anyone would have heard the story and carried it over to Nineveh. Um, others, uh, other scholars try to uh, make some sort of connection with the goddess Nina, which is also the goddess Ishtar. Look, bottom line is, I don't think we need any special theories or ideas to explain how the message spread through Nineveh especially the one about the Assyrian deity Dagon, all right? God is not going to share his glory with some other deity. The text contains no hint of any such thing, uh, and uh, so we shouldn't try to read such things into the text either. And in fact, the text actually says the opposite. In verse 5, it says that when the people responded, um, it says that the people of Nineveh believed God. And the word for God there is Elohim. So the one true God, the great God, the, 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 you know, the almighty God, that's who they believe. And uh, it's not Dagon, they believed, it's, 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 it's Jonah's God, all right? So if, if Dagon, the story about Dagon had gone before Jonah, then Dagon would have received some of the glory, some of the recognition here. They wouldn't have believed God, Elohim, they would have believed Dagon or Ishtar, who gets the glory. And so... I don't think we need to read that sort of thing uh, into the text. Uh, God gets all of the glory. God gets all of the credit. Notice it's not even Jonah who gets any credit. He doesn't actually deserve any because of how he preached the message. But uh, he doesn't get any. They doesn't say that they believed Jonah, Jonah's message. It says, the text says they believed God. Some people get confused by this, but remember, Jonah was a prophet of God, and so as a prophet of God, he's declaring the message of God, and so anything that Jonah says as a messenger of God, as a prophet of God, essentially is coming from God himself, okay? So we don't need to be confused by this. Um, But again, I think the text is pointing out that really Jonah had almost nothing to do with this, next to nothing to do with this. Uh, The text, uh, but, but the point is, is that although Jonah was quite reluctant in obeying God, 
this did not keep God from allowing his message to spread throughout Nineveh. Okay, and that's the point. Uh, Jonah's part in spreading the message, it, it was so insignificant, right? But still, that didn't stop God. It's, not, it's nothing short of a divine miracle here that Jonah's message was actually heard, understood, and spread throughout the city of Nineveh. So, I mean, think about what would have had to happen. If it's true that Jonah spoke at one time, maybe as quietly as possible, and who knows where he was in the city when he spoke it, and if he spoke it in Hebrew, then this means that when Jonah spoke his message, someone who understood Hebrew needed to be nearby and close enough to hear Jonah say it, and then to be convinced and persuaded by what Jonah said, so that they then went throughout the city spreading the message and passing it around. And ultimately, I think for all that to happen, we just have to recognize that this is the convicting and persuasive power of God at work, right? This this little spark of a message from Jonah is spreading like wildfire throughout the city until everyone believed God. So yeah, Jonah made the initial proclamation but God is primarily the one responsible for making sure that the message spread throughout the city. All right, and beyond just believing the message, believing God, the people actually respond. It sex, uh, the text says that they called for fasting and to wear sackcloth. So uh, these sorts of activities are normal responses, especially in biblical times, ancient Near Eastern times, for those who are repenting of sin. Uh, fasting and wearing sackcloth. Uh, sackcloth is this uncomfortable clothing. It was made from goat hair. Basically, the, the, two, the two together represent self-denial. Um, it, it's, it's a way for them to symbolize death and dying even, to, to, to focus their energy on prayer, you know, asking God for forgiveness, repentance, that sort of a thing. All right, and we'll, we'll learn more about this in verses uh, 6, 7, 8, and 9 when the king calls for fasting and repentance as well. Uh, but the text says that the, the entire city engaged in these practices from the least, or from the greatest to the least. Um, it's worth noting that these verses do not say that everybody in the city of Nineveh became a Christian. Now, obviously, they weren't Christians at the time anyway, but it's not like um, they become people of God. Uh, it's not like they, they joined the family of God. Maybe we, we can say it that way. It's not like the Ninevites became born again. I read so many commentaries this week that saw this statement here, that they all responded, they all believed God from the greatest to the least, and so therefore, uh, everybody in Nineveh has eternal life. Well, I don't think that is what the text is saying either. All right, There's nothing in the text that gives any such indication. Uh, anybody can repent of sin, uh, even unbelievers. And just because an unbeliever repents of their sin in response to some message from God or something they read in the Bible or something they hear from you, something they read in, the bo- in a book or hear in a sermon or something, just because they say, wow, I see that this sin I'm committing is wrong and therefore I'm going to stop doing it, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have become a Christian, that they have become born again, that they have um, you know, accepted Jesus by faith in him or anything like that, okay? Anybody can repent. Believers and unbelievers can repent. In fact, God calls everybody to repent. Okay? And so what we see here is, yes, everybody is repenting, but this doesn't mean that everybody is born again. They do believe the message from God and they do repent, but what is the condition for receiving eternal life? Do you know? Uh, Everywhere in the Bible, everywhere, whenever eternal life is offered, 
the only condition is to believe in Jesus Christ for it. Now, that's primarily in New Testament, obviously, uh, after Jesus uh, came and lived. Um, but uh, in, the New- in the Old Testament, it would be believing in God for eternal life, for, for righteousness. And that's what we see, for example, with Abram in Genesis 15, you know, 15, 6. Abram believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness, okay? We don't see any sort of that language here. The Ninevites, it doesn't say that they are credited with righteousness or anything like that. They don't receive eternal life. They're not justified. They don't receive justification, okay? So, so yes, they did experience a citywide revival through, uh, through repentance from sin, but that is not the same thing to say that they experienced a citywide conversion, all right? In fact, it's quite possible that what the Ninevites do here is uh, they don't become monotheists. They probably just incorporate uh, Yahweh, I'm sorry, Elohim worship, because that's who they call out to here, uh, into their worship of all the other gods they worship, along with Dagon and Nina and the others. All right, so anyway, just sort of an aside note here. They do all repent. doesn't necessarily mean they become monotheistic Jewish worshipers of Yahweh alone. Okay, They're not necessarily justified here. All right. Uh, anyway, sort of back to the text. What's most interesting to me about this verse, okay, and sort of helpful for us, is that although Jonah did his best to barely obey God, you know, so maybe the people of Nineveh won't hear, won't respond, won't repent, right? God is the one who brings about the change in the city. Jonah didn't do much, right? To share God's message. But nevertheless, God used the tiny, half-hearted light of Jonah's message to spark that citywide revival in Nineveh. Out here in Oregon, we're dealing with lots of fires this summer. Been reading in the news today about how California around Los Angeles is burning a lot too, lots of fires. So this morning when I got up to go off to work, I got out and the sun was just rising and it was blood red. Um, the sun was as it, as it rose in the east, and that was because of the smoke. All the smoke turned the sun red. Um, and so, I don't know where that came from. The fires. It only took a spark. But they, we, have, we have records. Uh, some people found out how some of these fires get started. It's just a careless spark. Someone throws a cigarette out their window. Some guy leaves his campfire burning. He doesn't douse it with water because he thinks it's out. A little spark flares up. A fire, a, a log crackles and pops or something. And before you know it, Thousands of acres are on fire, okay? That's the same way it works with God as well. It, oh, I don't know if... Uh, I went to, um, to, to camp as a kid, and I sang, uh, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. I don't know if you ever sang that song. You know, as we were sitting around staring into the flames on the, the last night of, of, of Bible camp. But um, that's what we see here going on with Jonah. Now, he is a sort of a reluctant spark, but God does spark the fire. He does light this fire that, that takes over the entire city. And I find that greatly encouraging. You know, we should, unlike Jonah, obey God to the best of our ability, right? To the fullest extent possible. Nevertheless, I think sometimes, if you're like me, we feel like what we're doing is relatively insignificant. But look, that's a lie. God does not need flashy miracles and brightly lit stadiums and spotlights and television screens and loud music and fireworks shows and news media coverage, right, uh, in order to introduce people to him. God turns an entire city to repentance to him through a tiny, quietly spoken 
message of a reluctant prophet. And if God can do that, then God can bring an entire city or a country to faith in him through you, through any person who is simply willing and able to share his love and grace in whatever way possible. And again, like I said earlier, you don't need to be Billy Graham to do this. Um, you, can, you can share the gospel in a variety of ways, with a variety of people. There's not just one right way to evangelize. I, I talk about this in my course, The Gospel According to Scripture. I talk about some evangelism strategies there at the end. But basically what it comes down to is you can spread the message of God's love and forgiveness in any way that is natural to, do, to you. You don't have to stand on the street corner shouting in a bullhorn. In fact, I think most times that is more harmful than helpful. You don't have to go door to door, knocking on people's doors, bothering them at dinner. Again, I think often that way is, causes more harm than, than help. Okay? Uh, instead, look, love the person is in, who's in front of you. I don't care where you are, what you're doing. You can smile at them. You can give a good tip to your waitress or your server. You can work hard at work. You can be honest. You can love your spouse and your children. Obey your parents if you're younger. Okay? All of these are ways of living the gospel, of letting your light shine before men so they see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And you don't need to feel like, oh, it's just so small, it's such a tiny light. Look, even if it's just a spark, that's all that God needs. Just be Jesus to people. And then let God do the rest. Look, in pointing to people to God, don't try to be the spotlight. Okay, just, just be that spark and let God fan the flames to spread his love and grace wherever he wills. And who knows? <laughs> you know, maybe a single sentence of encouragement spoken to a neighbor or a man at work. A single act of love to some homeless person on the street. Maybe something like that that you do just in passing. Because it's the way you are is going to be the catalyst that sparks the greatest revival this world has ever seen. I mean, look, if God can do it through Jonah, he can definitely do it through you and me, right? So just keep loving people as he's called us to do. And again, if you want to learn more about how to do this, get some practical suggestions, concrete advice on how to do this, I I, I encourage you to uh, get that set of emails, that series of emails. They're free on my website and you can get them by joining my online discipleship group which also is free uh, the free grace level anyway no charge for that of course if you want to join one of the paid levels so you can take all of the online courses and get free ebooks of course I would love that as well uh, but again just go to redeeminggod.com join see what's available pick the level that's right for you sign up and then one of the early emails I send to you will also invite you to get that email training on getting to know your neighbors loving your neighbors like Jesus I hope you take the emails, join me online, and I also can't wait to see you next time when we pick back up with Jonah 3.6 and see how this revival continues to spread through the city of Nineveh. Until then, keep following Jesus wherever he leads. Music